This is Apotheosis, the second podcast from the crew at Code Punk, where we talk about cyberspace, cyberculture, and cyberpunk. You can go to codepunk.io to read our articles and also check out our other podcast, the self-titled Code Punk Podcast, hosted by myself and co-host Bill Ahern. You can also find that podcast in your favorite podcast application, as well as on YouTube, since all recent episodes are recorded in virtual reality. I missed the gopher protocol. That's an odd statement to make because the gopher protocol wasn't successful long term and it had quite a few drawbacks. But the Gopher Protocol was an internet protocol built on the idea of sharing information in a search and hierarchical manner. Although it shared some of the horizontal nature of web surfing, it certainly adhered, or at least individual Gopher sites adhered, to the horizontal nature of the file system. The demise of Gopher was a crash and burn process of the University of Minnesota trying to lock down the intellectual property of Gopher at a time when the World Wide Web over the HTTP protocol wasn't just hitting its stride, but was capturing the attention of internet adopters as an avenue for more powerful presentations, a better presentation layer. Even if Gopher had remained open, it would have likely stood no chance against the combination of internet technologies that allowed markup to be interpreted by web browsers as structured and beautified text and images. Now, Gopher really sprang into popularity during 1992 or 1993, and at this time, at the time, Gopher was already in use by many universities, institutions, and experimenters. The straightforward protocol and simple interface required little introduction, and Gopher began growing and expanding at an exponential rate. As the popularity and install base on Gopher grew, so did the expectations of the University of Minnesota, and less than a year later, the Gopher Protocol and its enthusiasts experienced a little bit of a deflating event as they began to license enterprise organizations. And this was followed up by a post of why they were doing it. And it was a licensing fee, hundreds or thousands of dollars, depending on the size or the nature of the business. Gopher was maintained by six people and never really received additional funding beyond that. The team itself aborted the decision, and they were actually dismayed by the reaction from the community. The University of Minnesota, meanwhile, was contemplating eliminating the entire team and outsourcing their computer operations. Although this incident didn't end Gopher's reach or growth, it certainly slowed it enough at a time when the World Wide Web was making increasing inroads. When the World Wide Web and browsers in particular began supporting images and modem speeds increased, it put Tim Berners-Lee's protocol on an increasing trajectory, and let's be honest, let's not dismiss the role that easily available and downloadable pornography actually played in pushing the web even further. Gopher's reign was short, about three to four years at most, and by 1994, traffic on the World Wide Web surpassed the text-only protocol and never really looked back. Today, non-internet nerds, they know what the web is, they know what email is, they certainly know what the internet is. But those who are my age, who are into computers, will likely remember Gopher, Usenet, News Group's Finger, and Bulletin Board systems. There were multiple protocols racing throughout the internet, creating unique experiences for disseminating information. How many of you are still scouring through news groups? The web and HTTP took control, and as e-commerce began their fundamental rallying cry of the dot-com boom and subsequent bust, those attempting to make money off the internet didn't have time for competing protocols. 
The web served the need for design-oriented marketing. So all the investment went there. We lost the other protocols to the junk piles of academic experimentation. And with that loss, we essentially prostrated ourselves at the feet of advertising and marketing. This consolidated web experience also drove us to consolidated communication, birthing multiple social networks that eventually rebranded themselves as social media in order to sell the network to advertisers. Now, a handful of companies own most of the communication on the internet, selling your every move. When the internet was intended as a communication revolution, long before it was an information revolution, information is only important when it's shared between people. The instant and easy communication across the globe on a network of packets was the true revolution of this internet age. Today, you can still spin up a gopher server. In fact, the legion of veteran internet geeks have been busy creating toy technologies to revisit or reinvent their favorite early internet protocols. Gopher's popularity at the time and the reason why so many Gopher servers exist on so many different technologies actually lies in the ease of the protocol. You can actually write a simple Gopher server with very little effort. In fact, if you check out the written monologue version of this podcast on CodePunk.io, you will see some example code on how to build a Gopher server. Mostly, the Gopher protocol relies on ASCII text, tabs, line breaks, numerical bullets, creating a working server based on these minimal requirements, it actually takes a little effort. Still, despite the love for Gopher and how it's reminiscent of a simpler time, there are several drawbacks, mostly dealing with security around the protocol. This has led to the creation of another protocol, Gemini, that has been growing in popularity as a modern Gopher alternative. Gemini is meant to solve a handful of issues, which includes how it handles ASCII versus non-ASCII text, MIME types instead of Gopher item types, better navigation, domain-based virtual hosting, text formatting, and most importantly, TLS encryption. There's pushback against the Gemini protocol, not just because it requires a long name before the colon slash slash. Many see it as an unnecessary attempt at a protocol that tosses HTML and HTTP elements in the direction of Gopher. Sure, it improves security over the traditional Gopher server, but rendering rich content delivers reduced value HTML-like pages, even in my opinion. The Gemtext markup, meanwhile, is criticized for being a markdown clone with less efficient anchor tags. This is the point where a traditional business analyst living in a financially extractive economy would review Gemini and declare it dead in the water. Where is the money to be made in this? But from a technological and cultural perspective, burgeoning and amateur protocols represent the same philosophy as open source browsers. Mozilla warned long ago that Firefox was essentially the last browser not corporate controlled. Microsoft gave up on their Edge HTML rendering engine and adopted Chromium in their Edge browsers. This reduces the competition in the browser market while putting control of how you view the internet, the rendering of web pages, in the hands of just a few. And these few create value and acquire revenue through tracking, advertising, and data collection. Now, is it really appropriate for HTTP and the World Wide Web to be the dominant internet protocol where web page rendering is controlled mostly by Chromium, which is shepherded by a company that controls the majority of internet search traffic and makes about 90%, 95% of the revenue off of advertising? I mean, who is the product in this situation? I think you can guess who that is. Consolidation in corporate America and the global economic world in general leads to monopolies. On the internet, Consolidation leads to limited choice and a controlled experience. 
Experimental protocols like Gemini, regardless of whether or not you care for Gemini itself, are good because these are coming from people still fighting a good fight for networked experimentation, internet freedom, and technological exploration. In many ways, these emergent protocol experiments align with retro computing initiatives like the Tildeverse, where elder states people of the internet have been rebuilding the age of home directories on a shared server with some Tildeverse offerings, including gopher and finger protocols, early text-based blogging, and even web rings. Chatbot engineer Ben Brown actually recently launched his own finger server on Happy Netbox, announcing it on Twitter, and immediately acquired several hundred users. That's impressive. As we contemplated previously, this could just be a bunch of middle-aged programmers having a collective midlife crisis and yearning for the better years of our youth. But I would be willing to hypothesize that it's more of an awakening and a realization that the promise of the internet of our youth has been seized by a handful of modern aristocrats, and we've lost the freedom that those early years of exploration exposed us to. This nostalgia that we feel is now being acted upon by those of us who exist in positions to make choices that shape the future of technology and regain that collective, collaborative space that we loved.